It's Tuesday, April 13th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Elon Musk and his boring company have a new public transit system built 40 feet under the Las Vegas Convention Center. It costs $52 million and reduces a 15-minute walk to just under a couple of minutes as you ride in a Tesla through tunnels about 35 miles per hour. It's a proof of concept that will soon be expanded as the city of Las Vegas and Clark County are going to develop the Vegas Loop, a 15-mile system with stations at local resorts and attractions. Rick Velada, gaming and tourism reporter at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, joins us for more. Next, throughout the pandemic, nursing homes have been under more scrutiny as outbreaks were happening in these facilities that were understaffed and housed some of our most vulnerable citizens. In California, death and neglect was found inside a troubled nursing home chain called Renew Health. Their CEO applied to operate nine new facilities and was denied because of all of the other violations at her other facilities. But in a weird twist, she is still operating these very facilities because of licensing loopholes. LEU, investigative reporter at KPCC and LAS.com, join us to talk about the flawed system allowing this to happen. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Approximately 15 miles worth of tunnels that connect multiple resorts and attractions in Las Vegas. The plan is to go out to uh, McCarran International Airport. So it would become transportation system of the future all underground. Joining us now is Rick Velada, gaming and tourism reporter at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Last week, the media there in Vegas got a chance to tour Elon Musk's new public transit system there. This is uh, at the Las Vegas Convention Center. The biggest selling point of this is that uh, it, it's usually like a 15-minute walk. I think the whole thing is about 1.5 miles. We'll turn uh, it into just 15 minutes. And this is all part of Elon Musk's boring company. They drilled big tunnels under the convention center and you know you get ferried around in Teslas. And that's the whole thing. It's kind of this new public transit system that they're working on. And the whole thing costs $52 million dollars. Rick, you were one of the people that got a chance to go out and test it out. How did it go? It's a very smooth system. You know, one of those things that when you have a Tesla as your as your primary vehicle, it's not only quiet because it's electric, but it also is pretty classy on the inside of the vehicle itself. And they're going to have a, about 60 of these when they finally get around to getting the entire fleet put together. But the point that you made about, you know, ending a 15-minute walk for a one-and-a-half-minute ride a lot of people don't realize that, you know, a lot of our business ha- occurs in the summertime. So it's awfully hot to be walking around outside. And this is going to be a big improvement for that. Right. I love Vegas. I haven't been there in a while, obviously, because of the pandemic. I can't wait to get back. But these walks are kind of, uh, you, you don't really expect how long these walks really are. You know, even if you're walking between hotels and casinos, I mean, these walks can be about a mile in between getting to your next destination. And you're right, the heat can get pretty unbearable. So definitely something interesting to watch out for. Tell us a little bit more about the actual project there. When did it start? Kind of a timeline because there's three different tunnels that they had to build, three different routes that they have, and they've been working on this uh, since uh, November 2019. The tunnels that have been put in place are twin tunnels. They have, you know, going one direction against the other direction so that there's never any uh, a chance for a, a collision, a head-on collision. So what they did was they put the boring machine into the ground about 40 feet down, 
and then chewed away at that for about almost a mile. And then when they were completed with the first tunnel, they went ahead and did the second one that runs pretty much parallel to the first one. And then there are three stations, one on the far east end of the building, one on the far west end of the convention center, and then one that's like right in the middle. And that's the only one that's underground. Everything else, you take a ramp up to the surface at the end point. So it's actually pretty astonishing. And it's, um, uh, like I said, it's a, a nice, smooth ride. Everything is asphalt and paved. We put a little bit of Vegas inside with uh, multiple colors of LED lights. So it's not only a, a, an experience that's worthy of good transit, but it's also kind of fun and it's also kind of Vegasy in terms of the lighting. Right. Yeah. It, it's like a rainbow, uh, a bunch of rainbow colors going on. It's, it looks like it could be like a club inside even. I saw a couple of tweets and videos of how it all works. They said at their capacity that it could probably transport about 4,400 people per hour, about 60 vehicles in the fleet. And uh, what did they say as far as uh, cost uh, and how this would work out? Because I know there was very little details as far as like waiting times, loading times, all that. Because this is a transit system within the Las Vegas Convention Center, there's no cost for any individuals to take a ride on this system to get from point A to point B or point C. When they expand the system, and this is, this is part of the Elon Musk plan, is to expand the system into the city and county, then that's where people will start to be charged on a per-ride basis. The indication that we received is that the a cost of a ride would be somewhere between the cost of a, of a bus trip of similar length and uh, an Uber ride. And basically, these things operate the same way Uber and Lyft do. They are point-to-point. So if you get on one of these things at, say, downtown Las Vegas, you can make your way to Allegiant Stadium and you go directly there. You don't have to stop at any other locations. And that's going to be the value of the system, I think, because people are going to be able to do these things very quickly in terms of getting from one point to another. Let's talk a little bit more about that expansion in these future tunnel projects. Because right now it's kind of this proof of concept, right? If it all goes well over there at the convention center, they are going to be expanding this. The plans are kind of already in scent, already in place for it. And uh, I guess they want to call it the Vegas Loop. How would that work? Like, where is that going to be going through? Uh, I think the city of Miami's taken a, a big interest in this also. They might want to do something with this. So if it plays big in Vegas, we might be seeing this in more places. That's right. One of the things that the boring company decided to do was to, as you point out, uh, proof of concept. They figured that if uh, if this can work in a very small environment, and these tunnels are, are less than a mile long, so it's not huge. And certainly the vehicles themselves don't get up any higher than maybe 35 miles an hour because it's such a short distance. But once you get to the point where you're doing this in the city, and what they're talking about approximately 15 miles worth of tunnels that connect multiple resorts and attractions in Las Vegas, the plan is to go out to uh, McCarran International Airport. So it would become transportation system of the future all underground. And one of the things that Elon Musk has talked about in terms of putting this thing together is that because you can go at multiple depths underground, these tunnels can cross over without having any conflicts at all. So it sounds not only safe, but also very rapid in terms of the transportation. So it looks really good on paper, and I think that the big test is going to be when we have a trade show in Las Vegas like CES or NAB, which 
you know, more than 100,000 people are here. Will they be able to keep up with the demand with 60 vehicles? Hard to say at this point, but I've seen some of these people that go into some of these conventions and they're always in a hurry. And I'm wondering if some of them are going to just say, well, I'm just going to have to skip the underground ride this time because I, I want to get to where I need to be and not wait in any kind of a line. So that's the big test at this point is to see how that plays out. And we might get a little bit of an idea of how it plays out in June when a trade show called World of Concrete is in town. That's going to be the first big show that gets to use these facilities and use our brand new West Hall Convention Center. Rick Velada, gaming and tourism reporter at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again for having me on. We found out that last year, state health officials denied Renew's founder and CEO, Crystal Salarzano, licenses to take over nine existing nursing homes. State officials cited a serious violations at the chain's facilities, including alleged rape and substandard care, and even concerns about Salarzano's character. But we found out that due to what advocates call a, quote, completely exploited licensing process, Salarzano's businesses are still actually operating those nursing homes today. Joining us now is LEU investigative reporter for LAist and KPCC. Thanks for joining us, Ellie. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about a story you guys did about a nursing home chain in California. Just to kind of preface all of this, we've been hearing a lot about nursing homes throughout the course of the pandemic. They house some of our most vulnerable Americans there. And throughout the pandemic, they've been hit especially hard for a range of issues. Staffing issues was the main thing. But like I said, they're very vulnerable there. The first major outbreak of COVID happened at the Life Care Center of Kirkland in Washington. We heard a lot of stories about what was happening in New York with nursing home deaths and, uh, you know, even the Cuomo administration there covering up some of those numbers. But in California, Ellie, you wrote a story about uh, Renew Health and how they operate a series of, uh, I think it was 26 facilities across the state and just a lot of problems that they were having there. Ellie, tell us first off how you got you know wind of what was happening there, and then we'll kind of talk about some of the other stuff going on. Yeah, I think the pandemic really sort of shed light into conditions at nursing homes that were happening even way before the pandemic, as you were mentioning. I first started uh, looking into this company when I did a story over the summer about an outbreak at another facility in Los Angeles. Um, I had heard that management had changed earlier in the year and a company called Renew Health had been involved. And that story involved family members telling me that there was delayed testing at the facility and there were several deaths related to COVID-19. And so I started digging into this company a little bit more and found out that it was connected to at least 26 nursing homes across state as either owner, operator, management, or an administration. And we found out that last year, state health officials denied Renew's founder and CEO, Crystal Salarzano, licenses to take over nine existing nursing homes. State officials cited a serious violations at the chain's facilities, including alleged rape and substandard care, and even concerns about Salarzano's character. But we found out that due to what advocates call a, quote, completely exploited licensing process, Salarzano's businesses are still actually operating those nursing homes today. Let's talk about some of these red flags that were popping up at these Renew nursing homes. There was a number of citations, a lot of infractions known as immediate jeopardies, which are just some of the worst things that you can do. They classify things that can cause or have caused death, harm to the patients, all that. So the track record for them was not very good. 
Over a three-year period beginning in February 2017, regulators documented 128 federal violations at these nursing homes, including more than a dozen in the category of immediate jeopardy, which is one of the most severe. We also did some analysis that the facilities connected to this chain provide care for one in 50 of the state's nursing home residents, but they're responsible for nearly one in 10 immediate jeopardies in California since 2019. So that's some of the things that we found. I mean, I had mentioned there was that one incident of a certified nursing assistant accused of raping a 52-year-old patient. There was another facility where a patient with schizophrenia had gone missing for weeks. So these are some of the violations that state regulators had cited to this Crystal Solarzano, the Renew's owner, about why they denied her those nine licenses. Yeah. And when it comes to the COVID across the 26 facilities, nearly 200 people died from COVID. More than 1,300 had become infected. So it was tough. And there was a lot of stories, you know, focusing on the COVID thing where family members of patients and all were saying, well, we'd see staff people walking around without masks, without the proper PPE. You know, you spoke to a lot of people connected to these facilities and even workers there said the same thing for inspections and whatnot. They'd break out a bunch of PPE and then they'd lock it away in an office and wouldn't make it available, which just seems pretty ridiculous. We spoke to several former employees at a couple of these facilities. I think the incident that you mentioned, we spoke with a former housekeeper, Devon Green, and he later actually spoke to investigators about his experience at Orinda Care Center. It's a nursing home in the Bay Area. He told us that he would have to reuse PPE. He had a box that he would put his mask in and that he would have to bring it in day after day and said that also before inspectors had arrived, that the center had staged PPE throughout the facility. But investigators had found that there was a number of issues, including short staffing at the facility and that nursing home workers like Devon Green had said that there was a lack of PPE. Okay. So now that we've kind of set the stage about a lot of the problems at this particular uh, group of nursing homes owned by Crystal Sorlozano, talk to me a little bit about these nine nursing homes that she had applied to take over and kind of the way the rules are set up, because this is one of the most outlandish things, like, as I mentioned that, that I've heard, you know, you have to apply to take these over. You have to have your license. But in these cases, you can kind of operate these nursing homes on the license of the previous owner. You don't really have to have a license in place set up just yet. And this is the way she was able to take over these nursing homes. They denied her request. She's actually still operating those nursing homes. Despite that, the appeals process, which she you know, initiated, could take years to work itself out. So they denied her these, but she's still working or she's still operating them. Yeah, the California Department of Public Health explained it to us this way. It said that, you know, new owners, aspiring owners of nursing homes can enter management agreements with the previous owners while the new owner's license applications are still pending. So you can take over a nursing home facility without having gotten your own license by the California Department of Public Health first. And even if your license application is denied, which has happened in this case with Solarzano, you can continue running the nursing homes while your appeals process plays out. And sometimes that can take years. So, you know, the state has deemed an operator unfit uh, by denying a license to them, but you can still continue operating them while your appeals are processing. You know, in your reporting, you found out, you know, that a lot of the rejection rate is very low. I think it was only 5% that have been denied. 
And there wasn't uh, any applications that were denied between 2016 and 2019 until these nine from Solarzano. So those numbers kind of bear out that they found a lot of issues at the facilities that she was operating already. And then they also cast doubt a little bit on her character. As you mentioned earlier, there was this uh, issue where I guess she might have submitted some false documents with regards to some of her uh, credentials on all of this. And you mentioned you kind of got wind to the story about a lack of testing or withholding of testing for COVID on uh, social media. Solorzano was posting things that, you know, were casting doubt on vaccines. And, you know, the nursing homes in California, at least, were some of the first places to be getting allotments of vaccine. But on the social media that she was posting, she was sharing just a lot of misinformation. Yeah, so the California Department of Public Health had charged that when Solarzano applied to be a nursing home administrator, she submitted a fraudulent college transcript. That's one of the reasons why they denied her the licenses to take over the facilities. And then in further in our reporting, we saw in her Instagram stories that in December, she had posted a series of Posts that spread misinformation about the COVID vaccine. One post repeated the falsehood that the vaccine changes your DNA, which has been repeatedly debunked by medical experts. Another post said, quote, the COVID vaccine should be avoided at all costs. And she has about 11,000 followers. So she had shared a number of posts to her followers. And when we shared these social media posts with uh, Dr. Michael Wasserman, who's part of the California Vaccine Advisory Committee, he told us that it's unconscionable that someone who's in the leadership position in a nursing home or nursing home chain would do this. So as you said, I mean, nursing home residents were among the first to be able to get the vaccine when it was first okayed by the FDA. Yeah, I mean, it's been a quick rise for Crystal Solorzano and Renew Health Group and, you know, amassing these 26 facilities right now that they're responsible for. And, you know, we've kind of talked to all this stuff. Obviously, this is the story that we're focusing on for right now. But, you know, it's just kind of the theme that we've kind of put forward. Nursing homes have been in the spotlight throughout this pandemic, and a lot of these problems have been highlighted and what's going on. So, you know, this story obviously, you know, highlights bad actors in the game, but also to talk about reforms. You know, there is some reform coming in Sacramento and on the California side, you know, something to do with this issue of these licensing, borrowing licenses. So tell us, you know, what kind of action is being taken there? There's a bill introduced in the state legislature this year that would really address this issue of being able to take over a nursing home before getting your license. So that it would ban that practice. It would require nursing home operators to get approval, to get a license first from the state to be able to start operating a nursing home. And then it would also ban this practice of, quote unquote, borrowing licenses from previous owners. That bill is currently in a committee, but we've been told by legislators that it's a two-year bill. So it'll be tabled until next year. Yeah, that's AB 1502. But uh, it only kind of makes sense that you would need those proper licensing to take over a facility, especially, as I mentioned, these are our most vulnerable uh, citizens here and things need to be on the up and up. These nursing homes have a history, unfortunately, of not always taking care of them. And, and you know, you, then you hear stories and actors like this and people kind of shake their head at it. So hopefully, you know, these stories highlight that. Hopefully the action gets taken and, you know, we'll see what happens on that front. Ellie, you investigative reporter for LAist and KPCC. Thank you very much for joining us. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.